I'm Callie Watts. We are both editors at Bust Magazine in New York City. We love talking to each other about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture. And today, we are going to be discussing a subject very near and dear to our hearts, women's magazines. And joining us today are two industry insiders who are also former Bust staffers who we love so much. Molly Sims is senior editor at O, the Oprah magazine. Hi, Molly. Hi, thanks for having me. Never heard of that magazine. (laughs) (laughs) And Eliza Thompson is senior entertainment editor at Cosmopolitan. Hi. Hi. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We're so happy to see you. Friendship. Thanks for having us. This is such an intense friendship zone right now. I hope you guys can feel it through the mic. It's gonna be okay. Beyonce's gonna be there for me. It's like a telephone and a computer had a baby. If you like women who are crippled by self-loathing, check it out. This is how you give a blowjob. You should keep dating this show because it's quite good. So... First, let me tell you the origin story of this episode. Callie had watched The Bold Type, and then she told me to watch The Bold Type, and we were both commiserating because the only magazines that we've worked for is Bust. Well, except for the porn magazine that I made. Except for the porn magazine that that you made in your basement. So much count. But on The Bold Type, those are like real fancy corporate lady magazine land and so they have a fashion closet and they have board meetings and they have like a giant office and click click heels and all that stuff and (laughs) we were wondering because we just all work together in one small office all crammed in together nobody wears heels and not only do we not have a fashion closet we don't have a closet we have to put our (laughs) coats on the back of our chairs so we wanted we were musing aloud, hey we know people who work at fancy lady magazines let's drag them out in here and or invite them cordially (laughs) and ask them what it's really like. So that's how we ended up with this stunning assemblage of humans. (laughs) Uh, First, I just want to hear the baseline about what everybody's personal Lady Mag journey has been. Like, what did you read growing up and what do you read now and what magazines have you worked for? Molly, let's start with you. Okay, so where did I start with Lady Magazines? So I was like probably every person in this room, maybe, obsessed with Sassy. And I read YM and Seventeen and a lot of like, and then when I was younger, I read like (laughs) Bopper and stuff. (laughs) So I could cut out pictures of Leonardo DiCaprio and put them on my walls when he was like a tween, um, like me. And... Then I found Sassy and Sassy was like such a Bible. It totally, it like rearranged my brain, honestly. And I didn't even know that there were girls like that in the world. And I got totally psycho obsessed with Sassy. And I really wanted to work for a magazine and I wanted to work for a magazine forever. And then I read and read and read every women's magazine really that was around at the time. And then I found Bus in a Barnes and Noble And it was the issue, the sex issue, which had uh, John Spencer and Christina Martinez on the cover. This is like a thousand years ago. (laughs) And I walked in and that was on the shelf. And I was kind of like, what is this magazine? (laughs) And I opened it up and again, like fell in love similarly to how I had with Sassy, which of course at that point was like years dead. Um, And then I looked up Bust on like the very fetal internet of the time and was just and found their shitty website and was like, maybe they somehow want me to work there. And there was a little flashing light at the top of like a little flashing text at the top of the website that said, we need interns. And so I clicked on it and then I sent them this email that I thought was like funny and they wrote me back and said like, okay, come on in. And I think I was one of the first interns, first like full-timey interns for the magazine. Um, And it was wild and it was my first job and they hired me out of college and I worked there for like another year and then I did a whole bunch of weird stuff and ended up coming back to bust like 10 years later probably and then I worked at bust and then I worked at entertainment weekly and then I ended up at Oprah 
So it was like a weird series of, of sort of well-timed events. Eliza, give us your mag journey. Oh, man. Okay. So it's, it starts with teen magazines. Uh, I, I read YM, Seventeen. I remember very distinctly the first issue of Teen People, which had NSYNC on the cover. And then there were like five collector's editions of each guy. And I had JC and Justin because they were both my favorites. Um, and I read it on the plane to a Backstreet Boys concert. I didn't, I didn't have allegiance either way. Um, anyway, then I moved on to Jane magazine. I was obsessed with Jane, like at too young of an age, like they were talking about sex and I was like, I don't even know what a blowjob is. Um, what else did I read? I still, I read my mom's Vogue's a lot because I thought the photography was cool. Um, and then in high school, at the like cool record store in my town in Kentucky, uh, I found Bust. The first issue I bought had Sandra O oh on the cover, and they also had Bitch magazine. And I took them home, and they basically taught me what feminism was. And then I kept reading Bust all through high school and college. And then I also became an intern after college. Um, and like overstate my welcome as an intern because I loved it so much. Impossible. <laughs> Impossible. <laughs> um, and then eventually became the music editor. And that was an amazing job that I did for a little while while also uh, fact checking at Us Weekly and Vogue. And then after leaving all those things, I went on to Cosmo um, on the digital side. And that's where I am now. So you guys have been in a bunch of different corporate magazine environments. Can you tell us what the corporate culture is outside of bust? And like, how much is it like the devil wears Prada or the bold type? Like how much is it what we've seen on TV and in movies? And how much is it like a bunch of girls at a bunch of desks? Well, that's an interesting question. It's like, it's sort of, it's half and half. It's funny because like half of it, totally is like those (laughs) like the bold type or something where I'll walk in and there's a bunch of like really fancy women wearing like $800 shoes kind of like striding around an office like being like we've got to have a meeting about this and then celebrities are coming in and you're and then everything is just like you know you have a meeting you can request for for fancy snacks to be brought in and like if something breaks in your computer they send someone up like in 10 minutes and then he like comes and fixes your computer and like oh, everything God. just feels kind of seamless and amazing that's such a weird thing for me to be like what you have <laughs> someone fixing computers <laughs> i mean this of course I like, when i was at bus i remember that whenever our router would like crap out i would have to climb on top of the kitchen cabinets and then unplug the router and plug it back <laughs> in again so it's a little bit different um but the funny thing is, I feel like the core, at least at O, the core experience is weirdly sort of similar in that I expected when I got to O that it would be really conservative and that people would be very corporate and kind of constrained and serious. And it turned out that actually all the women I work with are sort of like you guys and like people that I would know and like in the world. They're all real salty. A bunch of them have like <laughs> women's studies, you know, backgrounds. They're kind of sarcastic and like funny, rude. And they're all the things that I like in people. They're just at a, at a fancier building, basically. But but they're, the core is still there. They're still funny and, and obnoxious and in all the, the right ways. So Cool. Eliza, I mean, you've been in the mothership. You've been in, uh, in uh, Vogue. Yeah. Well, so I was just freelance fact-checking at Vogue, so I would come there for, like, two or three weeks at a time and work full-time and then not come back until they were closing the next issue. Um, but it was kind of like what Molly was saying. I mean, I didn't have to work super closely with, like, you know, Anna Wintour or Grace Coddington, but the people that work there, just, like, the lower-level editors are super nice, super smart. They are extremely well-dressed, but they're not, like, at least to they I mean at least the fact checkers they know that you're not like out here buying like Prada dresses so they're like not judgmental of your outfits um I will say one time when I was working at Vogue an editor was like explaining some form of Botox to me that I didn't understand for this article and pointed at my eyes and was like you know like where you'd get it at the time I was 
24, oh 25. <laughs> and so I was just like, wow. Um, so yeah, that's like my, my like most Vogue story is being yeah. told where I needed Botox at age 25. Um, and then with Cosmo, I mean, so I'm on the digital side, which is very different from print, but we have a beauty closet. Um, I need you to know everything about beauty closets. I'm obsessed with the concept of beauty co- closets on shows about women's magazines. Oh my God, ours is completely insane. But my number one question is why are all these clothes in that closet? Because like, if it's not the current season, how do you credit it And if you use it in a story? Well, I don't really know how fashion closets work. But with the beauty closet, it's like they just get sent tons and tons of promotional products for all these different brands that they work with. And then some things they use, like, for example, they'll be doing like spring nail polishes and they get sent all these different nail polishes. And some of them they will use and like do manicures with for a photo shoot. And then the ones they don't just end up in the closet. And eventually they like sometimes if you're like, hey, I need a night serum. They'll be like, oh, take this. And then other times they have beauty sales where they sell everything off for like a dollar and then give the money to charity. Oh, Ours is cute. on Friday. Really? Oh. I have tried to go to the Oprah beauty sale before and was so terrified by the line coming off it the is, elevator that I like immediately legendary. went back in. It's insane. Our beauty closet is as big as... I've definitely seen people's bedrooms that are smaller than the beauty closet and it is floor to ceiling. Makeup every kind of serum and cream and eyeliner you've ever seen in your life. And they basically just like dump it out in the conference room and everything pretty much costs a dollar. So you'll get some kind of crazy lipstick that's like $90 or something for a dollar. It's just like a wild. Oh my God. Our beauty closet is my desk. Yeah, I know. <laughs> just whatever I request. So and I sometimes Callie smiles upon us and we'll get a little treat on our desk. But I want to know about that fashion closet. I just, the concept doesn't work to me. Like, how do you wear last year's shoes in Vogue? Well, basically, like, the designers will send everything from the upcoming season. They'll send, like, whole swaths of stuff. So they'll put mm. out the call being like, we need everything for, like, right now it's... When the hell is it? February? They'll be like, we need everything from like your summer, fall, whatever. Everything looks like a yellow cardigan or something. And then they'll just get in like racks and racks and racks of stuff. And did they send it back? Yeah. And then they send it ah. back. Yeah. It's it's really just everything's on loan. So the beauty, the fashion closet is just like a revolving door of like ball gowns and bathing suits and all this stuff that's just like flying in and out. That all the makes time. way more sense. Yeah. Eliza, have you been in Cosmo's fashion closet? I never have because the... On digital, we don't have our own. We just call in things when we need them for shoots and then send it back. Speaking of, of shoots, one of my favorite things that you did was when you dressed as the queen. Oh, my God. That was so for good. a week and you mm-hmm. had the fake, uh, the fake corgis. Yep. Eliza, explain this to our listeners who are not familiar with your stint as Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> okay. So sometimes Cosmo, this is like a recurring thing they do where they have people dress up like ex-celebrity for a week or like try to live like that celebrity. So they had done Marilyn Monroe with this like very like curvy blonde girl. They did one with Audrey Hepburn with this like kind of tall brunette who looks a lot like Audrey Hepburn. Oh, wait. So they think that you look like the queen? Well, I think it was just like... (laughs) Because that is not true. (laughs) I'll let you know. I think that because it was like such a discrepancy between like none of us would look like this 90-year-old woman that they were like, we'll let Eliza do it because she's like crazy enough that she'll want to go horseback riding in the middle of the day. That's true. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And (laughs) I had like come up with all these other plans. Basically, they were looking for any volunteer. And then I just kept making terrible jokes about how I was going to like crack a champagne bottle on the Staten Island Ferry and say that I had christened a ship. And they were like, okay, we'll let you do it. (laughs) So I did it. It was hilarious. What else did I do? So apparently the queen really loves to watch soap operas. So I... I was able to just like channel my own love of watching TV. I would like go home at night and make myself her favorite cocktail. And then. Which was disgusting sounding. Yeah. It was gin and Dubonnet, which is Dubonnet is like a fortified wine that I've been told tastes like Manischewitz. Yeah, Molly made the same oh, face. Yeah. It, it was gross. So I didn't really drink it, but I just would like take a couple sips and then watch my it's favorite It's like your shows. stunt drink and then you have your real How drink behind yeah. you. Is she 90? She yeah 90 I mean, or 91 clearly whatever's in that drink is gonna make you live forever so we should all be drinking yeah, yeah. and she still rides horses because i was like looking up 
pictures of her and there are pictures of her as recently as like last November on a horse. Dang. That's so. crazy. Well, now she's hanging out with Anna Wintour. Yeah, she was like in the front row of some fashion show this uh, week. Someone on Twitter was like, what are they talking about? I mean, I <laughs> would <laughs> me laugh so kill a man to know like what did they say? Bangers and mash. I mean, like, what the hell the British people talk so about? So Anna Wintour Hats. had to chit chat with the Queen of England and with Cardi B in the same fashion week. Yeah, well, That's too much. Cardi was around. Wintour is getting cultured. Yeah, <laughs> from all sides. As you guys know, Debbie Stoller started Bust 25 years ago because she did her PhD dissertation on ways in which women's magazines were harming women. And she wanted to make a magazine that made women feel good instead of crappy. And you guys responded to it and came and interned there. And so did we. And we worked there. How do you feel about that assertion? Do you think that's still true about women's magazines in general? And how do you feel like that plays out in your workplaces now? Uh, This is Molly. I definitely think that's still true. And it's funny, actually, I was talking to my boss about this the other day at lunch. And I was saying that when I was a teenager, I read, obviously, like I was saying, I read Sassy and I read a lot of women's magazines, but I also was like a voracious reader of men's magazines. So I read like, Esquire and GQ and details. And I loved music magazines. I read Magnet really religiously. And I think a part of the reason why I loved and Spy. Oh my God, as a little kid, I read Spy constantly. I loved Spy. Oh my God, so funny. And I think I really was responding to the idea that like I loved magazines. I was just really bummed out by the content in a lot of women's magazines. Mm-hmm. And I also felt like the content in women's magazines, and this is like, a, it's terrible to paint them with this big brush, but like, was generally just kind of insulting. And I felt like the editorial level was pretty low, like the intellectual level was pretty low. And so I read a lot of men's magazines and that's, that's, it's a terrible, I don't even like to think that way, but I think it's changed a lot. I Mm -hmm. do still feel like really concerned about participating in that culture, even though I actually do feel In a weird way, and I've I've said this to people, and I think we actually used to joke about this at Bust. I remember saying that one time in a meeting that O was kind of like Bust grown up and like it was like the Bust lady grew up and like got a little more money and like settled down sort of Mm -hmm. because it's like it still has the same. It's about like self-improvement on a psychological mental level, but it has nothing to do with your body. It's also about like the pleasure of being a woman without the shame. And so in that respect, I feel... I feel good about it. I feel good about it. But I also feel like concerned. It's funny that you say that about men's and women's magazines. I I feel like we've talked about this at Bust before, that there's this idea that women's magazines are all about how women need to fix themselves. And then men's magazines are all about providing a pleasurable experience to the man who's reading it. Like Playboy mm-hmm. was entertainment for men. That was their tagline. And Debbie has talked about how she wanted Bust to be entertainment for feminists Mm -hmm. the way playboy was entertainment for men whereas in general uh women's magazines are like fix yourself you're fucked up Mm -hmm. for women that's their Mm -hmm. their sort of unspoken tagline do you think there's been a shift in that regard because i feel like i see men's magazines now that are like you better get those abs (laughs) Or you may as well just pack it in, bro. Um, That in some ways, men's magazines are swinging more towards you better improve yourself. And women's magazines are going more the pleasure route. Um, I don't know about men's magazines. This is Eliza. But I think that that's definitely true for women's magazines. I think that they're also doing a good job of expanding to be a little more serious Um, like not to toot Cosmo's horn, but like they did a really good package last year on how to run for office um, in the wake of the Trump debacle that we're currently living in. And it did really well and it got like nominated for an award. And, you know, is that what people usually come to Cosmo for? No, but like, it's great that they are trying. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a lot of places are doing that, like Glamour, all those types Mm -hmm. of magazines. Mm -hmm. And I... I mean, I I don't know. I don't pay that much attention to men's magazines, except for if there's like a dude I'm obsessed with on the front. (laughs) Shout out Timothy Chalamet on the March (laughs) issue of GQ. (laughs) But um, 
there's definitely I mean I notice on their Twitter accounts like a lot of like you should never wear a brown suit (laughs) or like don't wear socks with this type of shoes welcome to the club boys (laughs) I think also the most obvious is when they talk about sex because before it used to be how to give the best blowjob for the women and then for the men's it's how to get them to suck your dick instead of like the attention being on like how to get your pleasure it was always how to pleasure them and i think that is definitely turned around now mm-hmm. i was always wondering if because there's also been a certain down low culture to men's magazines where i feel like they were catering to gay men without explicitly saying so like in a mm. kind of winky way mm. like i always waited for how to please your man articles in details or whatever you know what i mean I would buy the hell out of a men's magazine that was like, this is how you give a blowjob. Right. Yeah. Like, tell me your ways, beautiful <laughs> gay men. <laughs> so we've talked about sort of the darker side of women's magazines, but what gets you excited about your job? Like, what gets you excited about working in the medium these days? Uh, I feel like there's still an opportunity to... This I don't mean to sound so highfalutin, but I was going to say, like, I feel like there's still an opportunity to educate. But there is. I think there's still an opportunity to change people's minds about things. And I just finished um, a story that's going to be in our April issue about this amazing company um, that these two women started that's basically like a cannabis company for moms, kind of. I mean, that's that's way glossing over the finer points. But, but um, it's the first weed story that... O has ever run and it was so much fun to work on it and I also thought maybe this would sort of I don't know make someone interested in something that they hadn't previously considered and that was kind of cool like I I got really jazzed about that and I think it's just women are crushing it in the weed game oh my god yeah I just did a similar roundup of women-owned weed companies yeah April 420 of course looking out (laughs) but there's so many companies that are run by women now that are in the weed they're they just seized that shit. Yeah. They were like, you think women can garden? We're coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, I just think, uh, and there's an opportunity. I mean, this is obviously, I'm speaking about print because this, that's really what I know. But I think also to sort of, to make these high concept, visually oriented stories and to experiment with the way that that's delivered in terms of amazing collage or crazy illustration and and to sort of spin these stories out and have the space to really like stretch your legs and and write like a 2500 word story about some woman's amazing personal journey towards god knows what it's really cool i just feel like i feel so psyched to expose people to things that I'm really excited about. I'm like, holy crap, I can't wait to tell people about this thing. Eliza, do you love it? Do you or love are you in a personal hell? <laughs> or, or do you, do you love it? An endless nightmare. No, I love it. I mean, kind of similar to what Molly said, I really love being able to, like, I, I don't know. I mean, so I write about entertainment, and obviously that involves a lot of writing about, like, Taylor Swift and Kim Kardashian and people who everyone already knows. But... But then, you love those things. I mean, I know. But then other times, like last year, I got to do a profile on this country singer, Margot Price. I love her so much. I love her so much. She's really amazing. But, you know, she's not the type of person that the average Cosmo reader knows. Um, and so that was really fun and, like, did pretty well. And I loved getting to write about her for an audience that might not already know her because, you know, they get to hear something new that maybe they're going to also be obsessed with. Um, and the other thing, like, this is going to sound really corny, but, you know, coming from a bus background, uh, I'm always, you know, trying to slyly or not so slyly, like, put feminist interpretations of pop culture into some of my pieces. Mm-hmm. And I love it a lot when, like, a teenager emails me and is just like, I never thought about it that way. You know, like, that happens not very often. But when it does happen, I'm like, okay. The kids are going to be okay. <laughs> and then the rest of them are calling me a cunt because I like made fun of Taylor Swift or whatever. <laughs> but there's that one who's yeah. like, I like the way you write about feminism and Taylor Swift. And that one gives me hope. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. Well, you're talking about the kids that you're writing for. I'm curious about how the demographics, say age-wise, skew 
at your jobs. I know like our target demographic for bust is 18 to 34. I would say the vast majority of people who work at bust full time are over our demographic. Mm -hmm. I would say we have two full timers. Erica and Meredith are younger. So it's probably half and half. Right. And Um, Janeth is younger. We're right. just old. It's just, we're we're just old. So we've got four <laughs> older and three younger than our target demographic. So that's half and half, or well, three I, in it. I live as a young rebellious child. So my I know we're we're youthful <laughs> within, um, but chronologically speaking, we're writing for people younger than we are. Is that the case in you guys's offices too, or is there more of a a push towards hiring people to write for the the age that is buying the magazine well i'm younger than o's maybe not target demographic but then our our readership than our average readership which is basically like hovering i would say like in the 50s um so yeah there's definitely parts of it that i think for me are a little bit hard to tackle because there's stuff that i can't even conceive of understanding it's like I remember they wrote this really, there was this amazing package, uh, feature package before I started that was about taking care of your elderly parents when they need to be basically put into a home or something. I mean, it was this really complex package about caretaking. And I was like, I don't have that thing yet. And then like menopause and stuff. It's just like, I don't, I mean, luckily I don't cover the health beat because a lot of the things that are addressed are things that like, I'm not at that moment yet. But yeah, I mean, I think in a way, when I first started, I actually had like a sort of serious heart to heart with one of my bosses because she basically said, you know, I feel sometimes like you are trying to skew older and more conservative because you want to follow what you think the reader wants. And she was like, and it's okay to be like entirely yourself in this environment. And like, I love that. They will either like get into it or they'll see you as sort of like their nutty daughter who, you know, you would call your mom and be like, you have to try this weird vibrant. Or your mom would be like, Oh my God. Like, you know, they sort of are amused and titillated by having a younger person sort of like goading them about something. But she was like, either way, just be however you are. What's happening over at Cosmo land. Um, I don't know what our official demographic is, but in terms of the site, I guess it's, it's maybe like 18 to 34 also, but with a bigger focus on like early to mid 20s. And then we have a huge Snapchat readership that skews hmm. way younger because people who use Snapchat are just naturally younger. Right. Um, and so those people can be as young as like 13. So obviously we wouldn't put like the sex content as much on Snapchat because of that. How does Snapchat work for a magazine? What do you... I, I mean, obviously I'm an ancient decrepit person i don't understand snapchat (laughs) it's like um it's kind of like apple news where different publications just post you know whatever stories they want for the day and then you can swipe and read it or you just keep going like a picture and a headline flashes on your screen yeah but like animated explain me the internet (laughs) Um, it's like a telephone and a computer had a baby (laughs) internet But yeah, back to demographics. Um, At least on the digital side, we are mostly within the demographic. I'm actually one of like the older people in the office, which is alarming sometimes. Um, The biggest difference is that there are sometimes just pop culture phenomenon that I just do not understand at all. Like what? Um, Like certain memes, like I just miss. I'm like, I don't know what that is. Or like... (laughs) There was like a thing a few months ago where they were trying to track down this girl from a telephone commercial that like everybody under 25 knew what they were talking about. And I was like, I have never seen this. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I have no clue what you're talking about. And it was like, just like a different frame of reference. Like there's a girl in our office who's never seen Titanic. Like we did a big celebration of the 20th anniversary of Titanic and there were multiple women in the office who had never seen it. And I was just like, that is crazy to me. Do like, I know don't know who yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio is. I mean, they do. But like to them, he's like, just like some old guy who's in the Oscars sometimes. He's just like a bloated <laughs> has been to them. Like they have no city bike riding creep. Yeah. Like they, oh have, my God. 
they have no experience of like swooning over him smoking that cigarette in Romeo plus Juliet. Oh, I was going to say Romeo plus Juliet is like one of his top. I mean, yeah. oh, when that's, they're that's playing that Radiohead song. What have yeah, you yeah, done yeah. for me lately? <laughs> but yeah. Sexually assaulted by a bear is what he did for us lately. Yeah. I didn't see that. So that did nothing for me. So yeah, occasionally I'll have to like research something that I like don't know anything about. Um, but then that often just leads to more obsession. Like I didn't really know much about One Direction when I started working there. And now I have like a full blown, like creepy stalker. I'm too old for this obsession with all of them. So, you know, it has its perks. What function does women's magazines fulfill in society in an internet world like i know that we're running around ragged we just ran from like deadline for our print magazine to come to these microphones to make this podcast and we're also you know planning events and we have we're doing so many other things now besides making a print magazine because of the age in which we are living what's happening with you guys and what do you think the function of women's magazines is now that we're not the only game in town i i mean i feel like what is the function of a book on paper you know it's the same question it's like Mm -hmm. what purpose does any form of print matter serve at this point i mean i still think and of course this is becomes such a trope at this point but it's like you know people still want to hold that thing in their hands and personally if i'm gonna take a bath and feel like i'm like diane lane in a movie i want like a physical magazine. Yeah. I want to take a magazine in the bath and I want to look at it. And then and getting back a little bit to the thing that I was talking about before with print magazines and like fashion styling or something like that. It's like there's stuff that you can achieve that feels tangible and physical in this totally different way. The sort of the scope of like cool clothes and art and not even talking about, oh, just talking about magazines, women's magazines in general that you just it just doesn't feel the same if you're fucking around on your phone. It just doesn't feel the same. Also, the design aspect is different. Like, I love looking at a beautiful laid out article. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't read the same design-wise. Like, wide, beautiful spread. You know, like, when we just did that one article, the, who's on our last cover? Uh, Kristen Ritter. Kristen Ritter. Ritter. Yeah, yeah. And that fold-out, that beautiful double-page image with, like, the the silhouettes in the background of the trees that wouldn't read as well online at all. Totally. I think also, I mean, obviously there's the sense of this cohesive vision that you get with a magazine that you don't get when you're messing around on the internet because you could screw around on someone's, on some magazine's website for like hours, but you don't quite get that same sense of like an, an overarching tone and vision Mm -hmm. as you do when you're just like sitting down to some chunky ass print magazine. Right. And like again, when we're planning an issue, we're not going to have like a bunch of similar things. We're going to try to have a certain kind of variety and a mix of yeah, right. reported and personal and service pieces. And that, yeah. like, that's not the kind of experience, curatorially speaking, yeah. that you would get on it. It's like listening internet. to an album as opposed to listening to like screwing around and making like a mixtape on your Spotify. And I love making like listening to Spotify mixtapes. But sometimes you feel like listening to a whole album from start to finish and kind of like diving into that world and being totally immersed in it. Then again, I mean, who the hell is anyone going to buy a magazine in 10 years? Maybe not. I have no idea. You guys have both had crazy adventures that you would never have had if you weren't working for magazines. We've already discussed Eliza's jaunt into the world of royalty impersonation. (laughs) Molly, you have held Oprah's hand and looked into her eyes. I have held her hand and looked into her eyes. Tell me everything. We need to know everything about that first and foremost, but also I just (laughs) want to know. Eliza's face right now is like, oh my God. (laughs) About any other experiences that you guys may have had working for magazines that you would never have had anywhere else, but start with what it's like to shake Oprah's hand and look into her eyes. I mean, guys, it feels warm. It feels intense it feels overwhelming um the actually it's funnier the story of when i first ever saw her in person was when she came into the office um and i had been there for like two months or something and a co-worker and i had both started on the same day and we were kind of like de facto work wives at that point and when we found out that she was coming in <laughs> We found out that not only was she coming in, that she was in the elevator coming up to the floor. 
And my friend turned to me in a panic and just goes, I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> and as she walked onto the floor, I just turned to her and I was like, start clapping. <laughs> she was just like frantically just clapping. Like, like she just didn't know. It was like so overwhelming to be looking into her eyes and just being near her. It was just crazy. Oh, my God. But, you know, I mean, she's just like, she's like one of the most famous people in the world. So she's just. She's busy and she doesn't really, you know, we didn't have like a lot of special moments together. I've interviewed her, but that was over the phone. And then I've met, I've met her in person and, and touched her soft skin and the whole thing. Was her skin so soft and moisturized? Of course it was. Of course it was. She smelled amazing. She looked amazing. Her hair was beautiful. But <laughs> I've done so much weird stuff from working at magazines. I'm sure you guys feel the same way. It's crazy. Like the list is just, it's un. Hands down, the craziest ever for me was when I interviewed Cool Keith. Oh my god! And we speaking were, of lotion, yeah. Well, yeah, that's where the story goes. We were in Chinatown doing the photo shoot, and we, I was like, "Where do you want to go do the interview? We can go eat anywhere." He wanted to go to the Olive Garden. Nice. Oh my god! So then we walk from Chinatown to the Olive Garden in Midtown, and in the way, he wants to stop at the Levi's store to get a jean suit. They didn't have the jean suit he wanted, and when he's leaving, he looks at this lady and he goes. I don't know if you're black or you Asian. And I was like, I'm not with him. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this person just said that to somebody. And then he goes in Bed Bath & Beyond to get lotions for his dad. And he keeps trying to buy me lotion. And I was like, no, I don't think that's ethical. Like, I, I, I will not be accept- accepting your gifts of lotions. And then we get to the Olive Garden and he gets white Zinfandel, which I thought was a peculiar choice. And he's telling me that he wants to start a lingerie line and that he can fax my friend over some blueprints. And I was like, fax machine, blueprints, none of that makes sense. He was a maniac. And the interview probably lasted like eight or nine hours. (laughs) And then we became friends. So can either of you guys top that, yay or nay? (laughs) I mean, I don't think that's topable. I mean, I can't top that, but... Top that! (laughs) Back to One Direction... I <laughs> please do. I I went to a private One Direction concert that was a taping for their NBC special. Ooh. This was in the days before Zayn left. <gasps> it was one of the greatest nights of my life. Oh it was God. like Universal Studios was closed down just for the One Direction fans. Um, it was in Orlando, but it was like unseasonably cold, so it was like forty-five degrees or something, and all these little girls were like huddled. In their like Zane sweatshirts or whatever. Um, I talked to so many One Direction fans who are amazing. Some of them are still my Twitter friends. And then the other part that was great is that because it was like a small audience, it was basically like seeing One Direction in like Webster Hall. Yeah, I love that. Because if you go see One Direction, you're gonna have to go to like the Meadowlands or whatever and sit way up in the nosebleeds. Yeah. But it was incredible. There was a One Direction themed light show. It was not as good as Cool Keith. No, that's that just that's weird. Tight. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Top it, Molly. I, what I is mean, the perkiest perk you ever perked? There's been a lot of perks. I perked pretty hard, guys. Um, I mean, in the just the course of of the, all these years, like I've been yelled at by Rose McGowan in her bedroom. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I remember that. I interviewed Pee Wee Herman and I cried <laughs> while I interviewed Paul Rubens. Um, I interviewed all the new kids on the block at Whoa. once, which was like, that it was so crazy. intense. I actually almost fainted during it. I was like, I can't get through this. I mean, someone flew me to France to try butter cookies on an island. What? <laughs> um, what? I went and toured a weed farm outside in the desert, outside Palm Springs and stayed at the Parker, which is that crazy ass hotel by Jonathan Adler out in Palm Springs. That sounds amazing. I mean, I held Oprah's hand. It's crazy. I mean, I want to go back and talk to that little kid of myself at like a teenager and be like, some really cool shit is about to happen to you. You will touch Oprah. So you should get jazzed because this is going to be real wild. So yeah, I mean, it's like, what other job do you get to do that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah, I also, that's how I... I met my husband by writing. That's right. Yeah, I wrote an article where I tried to go on all these dating apps and then... Caught a fish in that. And that was a weird article. That was really weird because I had to go on a lot of dates with a lot of... I just had to give in so I could get a date on each app, you know, to try try it out. I remember one time I was on this date with this 
douchebag. And this other guy comes up to me and he was like, will you put a nail this nail into the tip of my dick? And I was like, okay. And so I'm just nailing the, the thing in and the guy's like, this is, this is crazy. You're just going to touch his dick. And I'm like, you have no idea how many dicks I've touched. <laughs> if you think this is a weird situation for me, then we're not going to work out. There are so many weird ones, but Camilla was the best. He was yeah. the best. And I met my luscious research assistant on the job also because I was I was interviewing women who worked at the Coney Island Sideshow. And my luscious research assistant was working the ticket booth and wouldn't let me in for free, even though I was like, I'm press. I'm press. <laughs> and he you was know like, you I still am. have to pay. And so, like, I didn't get that perk, but I did get the perk of life partnership with him afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you guys one completely self-serving question before we take a break. And that is, I have a theory that Bust is the Velvet Underground of magazines in this way. There's a famous saying that the Velvet Underground was never a huge band, but that every person who listened to the Velvet Underground then started a band. Oh. And my feeling is that Bust is not like the most famous magazine, but everybody who either loves Bust and or worked at Bust at some point now works in magazines slash online slash in the news making mm -hmm. medium and so there's just like this insidious bust army mm -hmm. out there completely changing culture on all fronts all the time yeah we have emily oh Mc mccombs who went to huffington post and exo jane mm -hmm. she was there the second there and we have tracy egan right broadly uh-huh lisa butterer lisa started title right yeah. didn't she mm -hmm. like co-started it right and so they're many out others. there glowing. Yeah. Sorry. Emily Gould started Emily Books. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so many of you guys, but you're out there in like the mainstream magazine trenches. Am I just being self congratulatory or does everybody who you work with know who we are? Oh, 100%. And it's so funny. Like, I mean, I wouldn't say 100% of the people know that's definitely not the case, but the last two bosses I've had during my interviews, my job interviews, both were like, I love that magazine. And neither of them were people that you would think would know oh, about it. That. Like one was a guy who was basically my age, but did not, no offense to him, but did not seem like the kind of person that knew what the hell bust was. And he was like, I'm a super fan of this magazine. I wrote my senior thesis about it. What? And he was straight, a straight white guy out in the world, kind of like a bro. And then my current boss in the my interview, I think I actually brought a couple copies because I feel like oftentimes people won't know what Bust is. And I just want to really affirm it is not a porn magazine. So I bring copies to be like, hey, look, it's a women's magazine. And I brought them and she was like, oh, I've seen this. I love this magazine. I love it. So it's, it's like a thing that I think people in publishing totally understand what it is and think it's really awesome. No, I don't think it's crazy. It's, I mean, having obviously like Callie and I and like all of us you know, worked with a lot of interns. I see those interns out in the world on Twitter, uh, in, on the blogs, on websites, everywhere. I just see them everywhere. I can see, mm -hmm. I see their names everywhere. And I'm like, I remember her. And they're just out there just like putting their feminist tentacles all over everything. That sounds so creepy. I'm going to put my feminist <laughs> tentacles all over you. Well, we're going to take a wee break. And when I get back, I'm going to ask Callie, I'm going to ask Molly, I'm going to ask Eliza, what you watching? I'm Terrence Mickey, the creator and host of Memory Motel, a podcast that finds the drama and what we desperately want to remember or would rather forget. In season one, I explored such light topics as the different ways we remember the dead. Good afternoon. Thank you for calling the New York Times Classifieds. Christine speaking. I may help you. Hi, my name is Terrence Mickey, and I'm calling to inquire about an obituary. What information were you looking for that I could possibly help you with? Okay, I'm a big procrastinator, but I'm going to die at some point, so I just want to be prepared. And to get to the bottom of Stockholm Syndrome, I returned to the bank robbery where the first person was diagnosed with it. I always felt that I did something wrong. After 
almost 50 years, I felt, well, I didn't do anything wrong. I did what I had to do. And I'm kind of feeling proud of myself. And I followed a message in a bottle. He starts talking to me about a bottle with a message in it. And he says, Turks and Caicos. I'm like, and I'm, you know, I'm real expressive. You can't see me, but like I make a lot of faces. And I look at my cousin and I real quizzically and I go, I don't know what this guy's talking about. So I says, hold on a second. I put the phone down. I'm like, what, what? And I go back on the phone. I go, okay, excuse me. What's a Turks and Caicos? I had no idea. To see where your memories take me next, please subscribe to Memory Motel wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to share your memories, please reach out to me directly on Twitter at Terrence underscore Mickey or at Memory Motel. For updates on season two, visit our website, memorymotel.audio. We're back. Hello. Hey. Oh, hi. So we ask all of our guests and each other, what you watching? And when I say what you watching, I'm talking about movies, TV, books, music, videos, podcasts, everything that you can put in your brain. We want to know what it is Whoa. that you are culturally consuming. So we're going to start with guests first. Molly. Tell us what you watching. Oh my god, where do I start? Um, I just finished binge watching the Netflix series "End of the Fucking World." I love that which show. I loved, and the boy from it reminds me a lot of one of my high school boyfriends. A lot, and so I really aside high from the murder. Oh, I was <laughs> I was really worried for you. Aside for from all the murdering. Um, so it makes me feel very nostalgic when I watch it, too. I'm reading something that is fantastic, but I wouldn't... T- I recommend it with reservations. I'm reading Columbine, <laughs> which is a book about the Columbine shootings, and it's super intense. I but was just thinking about the... Because com- yeah. I skipped school that day, so I watched the whole thing go down, and I was like, glad I wasn't in school today. Yeah. Good it's, day to fake uh, sick. Not that I was in that school, but like, yeah, just no, like it was, it's a pretty watching uh, it from your house is much more comfortable. Yeah, it's pretty rough, but the reporting and the research that went into it is so astounding that I really, really recommend it. If you haven't read it, it's it's pretty old. I just haven't gotten around it to it watching or reading it until now. Um, and then I'm actually just listening to a podcast for the first time that I've been pretty into over the last week. It's called Endless Thread, and it is about Reddit. <laughs> it's basically just like stories from Reddit. So they really delve deeply into all of these Reddit communities, and there's these they sort of like follow these odd stories and then they'll actually get in touch with the commenters and be like, "What did you mean by this?" And then they'll actually go and spend time with the people and really delve all the way into their lives. It's it's quite good. That's I'm really into it. Yeah. That's what I'm watching. That's what I'm putting in my brain hole. Eliza, what you watching? Well, as you said earlier, what am I not watching? I'm watching <laughs> so many things. Oh, you are, I'm sure. Um, I'll start with movies. I saw Black Panther last Black weekend. Panther! I loved it. I wanted to marry it. I want <laughs> there to be 100 spinoffs and sequels. I want to be Denai Guerrero's best friend. I just want her to play every Marvel hero ever, like continuity be damned. Um, just make her Thor, make her Marvel, <laughs> make her Monica Rambeau, make her everyone. Who's Monica um, Rambeau? Exactly. She is a really cool superhero. Uh, she was like Captain Marvel for a while. Then she was this woman named Spectrum. It's complicated, but she's pretty sick. Um what a, uh, oh, and I saw Call Me By Your Name recently, which fucked me up. I loved it so much that I cried a lot. And then I, like, listen to the soundtrack at home and cry. Just like an emo teen. <laughs> um, and I also rewatched Lemonade for the first time in a while. Oh, wow. Yes. And I, so I'm, full disclosure, going through a breakup. And I was like, I don't know if this is too soon. It was not too soon. It was... <laughs> 
the yes. most cathartic experience I've ever had. It was like it just made me want to be Beyonce's child more than I've ever wanted to be Beyonce's child. And you guys know that I have wanted to be Beyonce's yeah. child <laughs> for a long time. Was it like when Titus went lemonading on Kimmy Schmidt? It was more like me like crying in a ball on my couch, but like of te- with tears of like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> Beyonce's going to be there for me. That is what Beyonce <laughs> is here for. Yeah, exactly. Um, TV-wise, I've been watching... The assassination of Gianni Versace, um, which is like okay. As- I've only seen the first, but I, I'm I like it, especially visually. It's very beautiful. Yeah, it's really probably. fun to look at, but it's like the timeline bothers me. Yeah, so I don't like that. And also, Darren Chris is way too hot to be that guy. Mm. It's like <laughs> uncomfortable how hot he is. Yeah, and I finally finally listened to everybody and started watching Great British Bake Off. Ah, and it is like Xanax in a television show yeah I want to have sexual intercourse with Selassie on season 4 so when you get to season 4 check in with me and we'll talk about salacious Selassie (laughs) or it's actually just me being salacious about Selassie I don't want (laughs) to besmirch his good name (laughs) Callie what you watching Uh, well I was at home at my parents house um, for the weekend so uh, I gotta go really neutrals when I'm there, you know what I mean? Nothing too liberal, nothing too sexual. Uh-huh. Uh, so I watched a lot of Kimmy Schmidt <laughs> with my sister, and that so was good. great. Season, we started at season one. I actually got my dad and my mom to watch it, which meant they stopped watching Fox News. Yay! You did it! You're doing God's work. Really refreshing. He also, my dad also listened to the podcast, and I was like, look at you. About them four hours of liberal media, and you <laughs> are not sexual. You media. haven't thrown me out of the house. You don't <laughs> seem angry, so that was very reassuring. Uh, watched Bring It On. <gasps> Bring It On. It was on when I was at my parents' house. My sister talked oh, like yeah. halfway through it, and I was just like, "I'm gonna kill you." <laughs> Do you not understand the importance of bring it on? And then I texted my little sister because she used to be a, she was a cheerleader when we were in high school. And I was like, I have a very important, most important text of the day is bring it on is on right now. And she was like, yes. My, God, my friend from high school is in that movie. Shut up. Which yeah. character? He plays the love interest. <gasps> my friend Jesse from Jesse high school. Bradford? Yes. Wait, the guy with the weird mouth? Yes. He, yes, totally. His mouth is so Hi, Jesse. Weird. If you're listening to this, wait. I hope you you're still, doing well. You still know him? Yes. Oh my god. I like. I mean, we're not like. Right now. We have to have a conversation. <laughs> yeah, we should. There's also some stuff about things that happened in high school that I would love to discuss off air. Ooh. <laughs> Sounds like Molly has some hot Jess Brad goss. <laughs> I do. Ew, I got hot, some hot Jess guys. sounds yeah. creepy. I got some hot Jess goss guys. Hot Jess guys, guys. <laughs> oh, Chrissy Teigen is like the best tweeter of tweet twatting ever and she told this story about how mr rogers always audibly says that he's gonna be feeding the fish on the show because a blind girl wrote in and said that she was worried that the fish weren't getting fed so now he says that he said it out loud every time so that she oh, would I didn't know. know that's why he said it mm-hmm. yes god mr rogers he was my first like major crush of life really like when i was a small child oh my god that is so cute would you like to know what it is that I have been watching? Yeah. I'm so glad you do. <laughs> because there's so much enthusiasm at Bust HQ, primarily from online editor Erica for The Good Place, I finally started watching it. Yeah. And I like it. I it's love it. It's charming and adorable. Like That's how I would describe it, yeah. yeah. I like it. I don't love it. But I feel like there is potential for my feelings for it to deepen and grow. Yeah. You should I keep heard, dating this show because it's quite I good. I heard it gets way better. Yeah. It's I've only been on like... Six dates with it so yeah. far. I've I've done all the dating. We're married now, so so I should I should I, stick with it. Yes, I recommend it. It is very relaxing and soothing. I will say that. Yeah, you should make a life with this show. Okay. Um, <laughs> another show that I like but don't love is Grace and Frankie, which I get sort of drawn to magnetically because Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin like how. What did we do to deserve such gifts upon right. this earth? Mm-hmm. But the show itself bums me out because I just keep getting caught up in the fact that they had these long, deep, rich lives, marriages, like long term relation. 
with these people who just totally blindsided them and blew their lives apart. And like, I'm glad that they're making friends and influencing people and making lubes and dildos and stuff for the elderly. But I can't get around the fact that like, like every time there's a scene with Lily Tomlin and Sam Watterson, I get so bummed out because they're really good actors and I can really feel that they loved each other and it's traumatic for them to be apart. Dang. I had a friend that, or I have a friend that she, she was a straight spouse and they were married. I, I'm not sure how long they were married for before he finally told her that he was gay, but that shit fucked her up. You don't yeah. sit with that well. You know, you're like, this whole thing has been a farce this whole time. We were just been best friends in your mind. And then every once in a while, you begrudgingly put a dick in me. Mm-hmm. It seems mm-hmm. like it would be so hard to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm watching it, but sort of begrudgingly. And I have to take breaks because it's too sad. But speaking of friendship, my BFF, not only does she recommend books to me, but she's such a boss. She's like, I want you to read this book. So she just like sends a Kindle copy of it to me. And she's like, it's on your phone. Start reading it now. <laughs> like when my best <laughs> friend really wants smart. me to read something, she's like, she makes that shit happen. And so there's this novel by Otessa Moshfeg called Eileen. I know that she has two books that she's written since then, but this is her first novel. And I'm really enjoying it. The thing that I love about it, which is what I believe my bestie was picking up on when she sent it to me, was that I love unlikable female narrators and like this narrator is such a jerk like (laughs) she's the title character Eileen she's like one of these people that you I don't know if you've ever heard the term the piece of shit at the center of the universe like someone who's like so full of self-loathing that they just can't even see outside of themselves like they're so full of self-loathing that they're completely self-obsessed in every way and they can't like relate to other humans at all I just, it makes me laugh so much. <laughs> Her tragic life just it makes me laugh. hilarious. I know. She like Jerk. works in like a reformatory for boys and is just like full of self-loathing and like uh, repressed sexuality and for to like the young teen boys who are incarcerated. And it's so good. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I know. I was like, oh, I don't know about that. just trust me that it's so good if you like that kind of thing if you like women who are crippled by self-loathing check it out it's called Eileen (laughs) Um, my very favorite show of all time everyone knows is Dark Shadows I'm in the 1969 season and I was floored I tell you floored when none other than character actor Abe Vigoda showed (gasps) up in Dark Shadows as an aging silversmith who gets murdered by a ghost and I was like, that character actor Dang. really looks a lot like Abe Vigoda. When the credits rolled and it actually said, like, Abe Vigoda, I was like, oh, shit. It was like, <laughs> I, like, got up and, like, had to run around in a circle. It was too much. <laughs> One of my friends recently started, oh, this is a thing I'm, I've been watching. It's an Instagram that she started called Deep in the Stacks. And it is just clips from Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, my which God. Which is newly back on TV. I that show is so good. So I would also recommend checking out either Unsolved Mysteries or her fantastic Instagram. I'm doing both. And so we reach the conclusion <laughs> of our program. <laughs> Thank you to our guests so much, Molly, Eliza. Thank you, you so much for best. having us. This was a great reunion. Yeah. Reunited and it feels so good. I love having you guys here. You're like two of the best redheads ever. (laughs) Thanks, of course, to our producer, Rachel Withers. The greatest producer of all. (laughs) Out there on the notes, just like Fergie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) Our pal at the listening booth, Terrence Mickey, thank you so much for letting us record at your swank place and our girl gang at bust magazine. Thank you guys. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems and you can email both of us. I'm at Emily Rems at bust.com. I'm at Callie W at bust.com. And to find out more about bust and about this show, visit us at bust.com slash pop tarts. And finally, please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Like, 
don't be like Abe Vigoda and just show up for two episodes of Pop-Tarts and then get killed by a ghost yeah. and like leave no trace behind. Oh, I hate that. Like leave Classic the trace <laughs> that you were here and that you communed with us over these audio waves by rating us and reviewing us. Then we'll know that you were there and what you think. It really helps us get the word out. We super duper appreciate it. Until next time. Mwah. Mwah.